Welcome to the Fury Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFB Advocacy. EFB means excellent for business. I'm your host, John Fury, former congressional staffer, longtime pundit, and a columnist for The Hill. I'm joined by my two colleagues, John Easton, longtime campaign manager and a chief of staff to two senators, and my other partner, Adam Belmar, who used to work in the White House for George W. Bush, but is well-known as a former producer for Good Morning America and a recovering journalist. And then we have our special guest, Rich Taylor. Rich Taylor is most famous for being the right-hand man to Jack Valenti at the Motion Picture Association. He also spent uh, 10 years at the Entertainment Software Association. Nailed it. Rich is a graduate of Brown University, but a huge Ohio State basketball fan. He's also a Cincinnati Reds fan, and he plays in a band called Manther. Manther. Yep. Manther. Mm-hmm. And when are you playing? St. Patrick's Day, Roadside Grill, Arlington, Virginia. Uh, there's a Manther Facebook page. Feel free to check that out, but just come out. I guarantee it'll be fun. And Rich, what is your best tune that you sing? That I sing? Oh, gee. Uh, let's go with Purple Rain. Purple <laughs> That's a good one. That is... You need to listen to Purple Rain and St. Patrick's Day. I think that everyone needs to do that at least once. It is. Green and purple make some color, I'm sure. <laughs> so welcome to the Fury Theory. Thanks. Great to be here. Theory one, helplessly hoping. Hope Hicks announced she was resigning from the White House. And if you hear that. I think it was the White House motorcade. <laughs> hear the motorcade there. After she admitted, now they say there's no connection, that she would tell some white lies on behalf of the president. My theory, Hope was never really supposed to be in that position. She was helpless as a communications director for the White House. Uh, that being said, I think that right now the theory here is they need to hire someone someone quick who knows something about this town and someone knows how to communicate politically. Uh, Adam Belmar, we're going to start with you on helplessly hoping. Uh, do you think that there's any chance that this White House can get a qualified, competent – communications director that will last more than two weeks. Yeah, I do. I I think that uh, the honor of serving the President of the United States in that role is significant and not one that, uh, when given the opportunity, folks will run from. Uh, It's an extreme challenge, there's no doubt. You don't ultimately want to be reactive. You want to be managing the calendar and the message and coordinating all of the things that you can do to help support the President's agenda. Now, we know that this president is, is constantly sort of blowing up best laid plans, and so being the communications director is really tough. But I think there are some competent people. Quite frankly, John, I wouldn't want to lose you from EFB, but if I was looking for a communications director, I think there are pe- some people I know who I would be looking towards. And, you know, you've also got Mercedes Schlapp, who's been in the, in the, in the West Wing for a number of months. She's highly qualified. She is someone with whom the rest of the senior staff has a good relationship, I understand. They're going to find someone. They'll last for longer than two weeks. But uh, the unique element here, the thing that everyone is, is looking at, is that she knew Trump and he trusted her and that they somehow spoke or understood each other in a way that others didn't. And that is something you just can't hire. So, Rich Taylor, you worked for uh, 12 years for a guy who knew everything about the media, Jack Valenti. And Washington. And Washington. Uh, Donald Trump knows everything about the media, having been a media sensation for his whole career. 
How would you suggest managing someone who knows everything uh, or thinks they know everything? I mean, you know, how do you, how do you go about this? And wh- who do you think would be a, the kind of person that would be a good communications director for this president, who I know you probably don't have great regard for, but you want to see the country to succeed like everybody else, right? His words, not mine, on the first part, by the way. And yes, in the country succeeding without a doubt. Um, you know, you and I have both worked for very strong personalities in the past, and, and obviously you as well, and uh, through our lives we have. You know, there, there's certain challenges that's going to be there. I mean, it's one thing, that the, the blessing of working for someone like Jack Lenny was not only was he generally the smartest guy in the room, uh, and he, he knew he was the smartest guy in the room, but he actually happened to be the smartest guy in the right. room. He rarely created um, a mistake that you then had to recover. We were really just trying to help augment kind of the, the, the wise path he was setting for. So that's sort of a luxury and, and maybe perhaps in contrast to some of the things and challenges those in the White House are dealing with now. I mean, you're on, I think she was the fifth communications director after, you know, how long we've been there. Yeah. I think Obama had maybe five total in the time they were there, over eight years. So, you know, that, that there's a churn rate there that is not, you know, special to Hope Hicks. Right. It, it is a, that is a challenging environment. Um, and, you know, when you have to tell little white lies, you know, that your currency as a communications person is your, when you're working with the media, is can you be trusted? And as soon as you lose that, I think that you are now, you're done. Um, and so anyone who's put in a position where they're expected then to knowingly be false with the media is going to lose their standing as a, as a quality communications professional. And there is sort of the catch-22 of that challenge. I do agree. I'd love to see John try it, though. <laughs> uh, I'm not leaving you. Try it. I love that. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, John, You'll be back in two weeks, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to take some action on yeah, it, though. Uh, What's the over-under uh, on John Fury? John, uh, John Easton, um, you know, you've been a communications director, press secretary. Mm-hmm. You've been the chief of staff uh, for major senators. Uh, you understand kind of the interplay between the two. Uh, you know, what do you, what, when you're looking at this whole operation, this White House operation, and obviously John Kelly's got his own problems in managing this president, how do you manage someone like Donald Trump? And, and is there a, a true sense of communication, a, a role of communications director in this White House? Will that ever exist the way we know it? Right. And, and the four of us know a lot of people in this. There's no dearth of talent to fill that position. The question is, you know, do you have what Hope has, and she's about out the door now, but she does have the trust of him that goes back way, even before the campaign. So she has that. That is critical, as we all know. And you do have to compliment the president uh, in the way they think and, the, and, and their approach to issues and their approach to the media. You can't just be on a complete collision course every single day. No, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. You have to find a way to, to uh, you know, manage him or her, you know, the, the way uh, it can be beneficial to him. So I think that with, with – Hope you're not necessarily losing a uh, long-time communications pro in Washington, right. but you're losing that trust uh, that you got to have with the president. Who is gonna? Who's gonna get that? Who is gonna have that kind of trust? Who's gonna be on a day-to-day basis be right. able to weather his storm, his 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 personality and and but his, also his storms. I think his that's storms, right. Yeah, and but his 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 personal um, you know idiosyncrasies, but also get the job done. I don't know if it, it really can be done the way the four of us have known it. So, Adam, talking a little bit more about what a communications director does versus what a press secretary does. You know, Hope Hicks was famous for never giving a quote, never appearing on television, she's never. A Clarence Thomas of communications. She's a Clarence Thomas of communications. Exactly <laughs> right. 
uh, always behind the scenes. But to John's point, she always had his trust. And theoretically what she would do is tell him what to do. And you had to go this and that and the other thing. And he would, he would listen to her apparently. Um, but so what, to talk about that. You work with the communications director. Yeah, it's, it's, a very, uh, it's a very interesting combination of responsibilities in the communications department. Uh, and the press shop sits beside the communication shop. And, you know, dealing with the media, both the national media and the regional media and all of the elements of getting the president's message out takes a lot of different people. Um, the press shop does that very well um, in a White House, and the communication shop is not that. They are helping to figure out, okay, what is it that is next on the president's agenda? How are we going to roll out a plan to be thoughtful with all of the elements of an event or legislation, this communications rollout, the visuals that support the president, where strategically we're going to make trips, who the president's going to speak to at certain times in terms of interviews, and then ultimately thought leadership and corralling all of the folks who are out there who are on your side the folks who you see on cable news who are talking heads, who need to know where the president stands and what they're fighting for. It is a huge job. It doesn't want to be done reactively. It needs to be done proactively. And while it can be one that's cloistered a bit from the press, you don't want to talk to them every day. You leave that to the pros on the other side of the fence. Um, if you have no real rapport and no real understanding for how the news is made and what the process is, yeah. you're at a big well, loss to be a communications I mean, director. They, they, you know, Early on, it looked like there was going to be some discipline mm -hmm. applied in, in this White House. I remember as a as a dem almost being like disappointed when it looked like they had a plan. <laughs> like this is going to be infrastructure week. This is going to be energy week. Mm -hmm. This is, you do that and you set it up with a communications plan around it and you hit it with a cadence and you have a plan. You have echoing and validators coming out and forth. You've 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 moved the ball forward. But we know it tends to go away about six a.m. On Monday morning, and and continue that way, and it's really hard to kind of construct a, a sound communication strategy when there's not a right. So that's the role yeah. traditionally, as, as Easton yeah, said, that exactly. we know it to be. Right. Um, and it's different from the press secretary. You've done both roles. Yeah. Um, but at this level, you know, when you're operating without one or the other, I mean, God, you can't fight this kind of fight with one arm tied behind. So, your Rich, back. you know, talking about the modern world we live in. It used to be that you could do a communications plan and there wasn't Twitter. Right. And there wasn't all these people tweeting stuff out and you can keep a cult, uh, tight hold on things and you can have a plan. Now everyone's telling everything every all, 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 all at once. Yeah. So how do you, in this world of digital media, you know, you're, you've been involved in, in kind of the, the cutting edge of communications for quite a while. How do you kind of handle this kind of modern media stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to control what you can control. Right. You have to and make sure that your shop has discipline, you have discipline, that everyone's on board, that you know the timing of things. Like, you know, you're right. It used to be 10 a.m. We're going to put out a release, and we're going to embargo it with one person till the – none of that works anymore because as soon as any of it seeps out, it's out. So, um, you know, discipline is number one. Um, you know, knowing what the message is is number two. And then just, uh, you know, making sure you have – folks out there to validate that just aren't you anymore you can't just be the one saying the message right if you don't have folks in different sectors like you know take the video game community like 
you can't just be the industry speaking. You need people who say, this is also good for the consumer. This is also good for the economy. This is also good for jobs. If you don't have that around, then you're going to get take fire, incoming fire from somewhere. So you have to, ahead of time, pre-game that. But as soon as you start pre-gaming it, now the message is leaking in and out. Right. And that's why you need trusted, disciplined sort of folks to join you in any kind of and, and you're And you're only as disciplined as the principal. Right. Bingo. And and I think that we saw the the perfect example of that yesterday at the White House right. with the mm-hmm. steel tariffs being laid down by, by the president at a meeting, supposed to be just a little bit of a brainstorming meeting. I, I know that he likes to have these. And then he brings the cameras in. You think the communications office had that all planned out? Apparently he brought them. President Trump brought them in. Said, no, 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 no they should come in. And then the whole thing was just spontaneous, yeah. and I just, I just now this whole town is blowing up over over these steel tariffs. The House members, you know, senators, they don't know what's going on, and and this is everybody's doing stock doing market. this, right? Yep. Stock and the stock market goes down, and so that was the antithesis of a of a very good <laughs> communications plan. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. that's true, except for the fact that uh, Donald J. Trump. Loves to be the head mischief maker. And Lord knows he's told everybody that this was something that he wanted to do. He was going to be a disruptor. He was going to make sure that we didn't, you know, get screwed in international trade. He's been hearing in very loud terms in Washington through digital ad campaigns and others on television about how the steel workers and the aluminum workers are getting hurt and that he needed to do this. And he loves to just yeah. throw the whole card up. Let me, in, let me, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's right. And, and John, I want to just kind of probe a little bit on this. I mean, Trump is the most undisciplined communicator in history, but he's also the one who dominates the news on his terms. Yeah. So, is this a net? I'm going to ask all of you this question: Is this a net plus or net minus for this president? Uh, can, I, can I add a nuance to yours as you ask that too? Yeah. Is it intentional or just his okay. nonstop momentum and 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 and? Right, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's do it that way. Let's ask twice. Two, 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 two different questions. First, is it net plus, net minus, and is it intentional or, or just kind of blundering into whatever? I, I think this is a, a net minus for governing. Uh, I, I really do because uh, to get something done, say on guns or, or immigration, it's so difficult to get all the, the the parties involved to march down the same path and get something signed into law that it's a net negative in terms of, uh, I think, uh, Adam or John, you were making the point about what he's been saying since the 2016 campaign about, you know, about trade, about immigration. In terms of who he's speaking to, if he's just speaking to his core, they like to say the core, uh, his followers, then, yet, then yes, it, it, it's, it's intentional. Then we don't know exactly, you know, you know, by the hour what is what is really intentional, what's spontaneous in his world. But in terms of getting to his core people, that seemed to me a bit intentional. Rich, what do you think? I wish I actually knew. I, I think I agree in terms of governance. It's hard to argue that it's a, a plus because um, we just are seeing the results of that. Um, but you know, I, I I don't know if it's intentional or not. I do know that it has a an effect of disallowing any traction on a lot of things that could be very damaging and harmful, uh, whether that's on purpose or not. I mean, you know, Obama, the Obama, we weeks trying to shake off a tan suit controversy. <laughs> right. You know, we've got money in the chair. We've got conference tables from HUD. We've got, you know, pick pick the thing that may have been a blow-up in the past, but we go past it so fast because mm-hmm. the next thing's there. 
intentional or not, I don't know, but it's effective in terms of moving the moving the story along. I, I agree with you. Adam? Uh, I'm no longer worried about craziness coming from this president or this White House. Political brilliance on the president's part, uh, I think it's a net positive uh, in the electorate uh, and in his approval ratings. And I think as far as governing is concerned, uh, it's the ABCs of me, baby. Uh, he's 100% going to do what he wants when he wants. And if you don't get with him and get uh, on the same page with the president, you're going to be on the outside looking in. You're going to be surprised. Uh, I think Republicans and Democrats alike have just gotten another wake-up call that this is, a, this is the Donald J. Trump show. Uh, I will say, to sum up, I think it's instinctual, not intentional. But I do think that the instincts are largely correct about what he wants to keep truth faith to what he wants to do. And so I think it can be a net positive for him. Uh, to governing, I, it's, it's, it's unclear. I mean, you know, he got the tax bill done. If he gets an immigration bill done or a gun bill done, I mean, that would be huge. But uh, I don't think that these fail because of him. I think these fail just because of Congress being unable to resolve key issues on that. So on the instinctual, so you're saying – He's pro. You're pro Daryl Hammond over Alec Baldwin as well. Then that's a big stance you're taking because that was some, this morning's Saturday tweet, Night right? Live president. Uh, right. You know that's that's what he's tweeting about this morning is who who is better on Saturday Night Live. He, I think that Donald Trump would make a better Donald J. Trump than Alec Baldwin. Um, that being said, it's a close call. <laughs> Theory two: Guns or games? As Congress grapples with another school shooting, the question remains: What can they do to fix it? Can they do something about guns, or are they going to focus on mental health issues, perhaps the impact of video games or the broader culture on the, the brains of, of these teenagers who are doing all this, this killing? Uh, Rich Taylor, you have been involved in the motion picture industry and the video game industry for two decades. You have seen these things come up and down. I remember when Joe Lieberman would, would always attack the video games before that MPAA. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the science say about this? Uh, does does the culture have any real impact on on these kids, or is it just the proliferation of guns that makes it so obvious that they're gonna you know they would take out their problems and and shoot shoot people up? So here's the, here's here's what we know. Yeah. We know the same films and the same video games are played around the globe. They just are, and in many countries, Japan and and some places in Europe as well, the the titles that are most popular are even more violent. You know violent than the ones enjoyed here in the United States. You can buy the same game in Detroit or go across the bridge into Canada and buy the same game. The rate of violent crime and violent gun incidents in the United States is so far above and beyond anywhere else in the country, and in the world, rather, that uh, it does then make you have a pretty easy, you know, science doesn't give you a lot of easy constants and then measurements against it, but, you know, same entertainment, same demographics playing it, massive violence in one place, massive availability of firearms in one place, you, you can start to go a, a direction. I will, I will say this, though. It's just interesting how, you know, as you said, 20-plus years, and you've been in it, too. You've been part of the culture conversation, you know, even when you're on the Hill. Right. Is that, you know, I, I, I'll just tell a quick anecdote, and it shows how we haven't gotten out of this trap yet. Um, that horrible April day uh, when Columbine occurred, I was at my desk at uh, Motion Picture Association, it was ongoing. It was the helicopters over the school. As far as we knew, it was still an active incident. Phone rings, producer from a well-known cable show, wanted to get Jack Valenti on television that night. I said, well, why do you want to talk to Mr. Valenti? And they go, well, are you watching TV? There's this incident in Colorado. I'm, I was like, I- I'm watching it, but what do you know that I don't know? And they're like, well, it's a high school. 
you know, early reports are, maybe uh, kids doing it, so we want to talk about the impact of movies on on school shootings. And it's like, we are not doing that right now. Right. We don't even know what this story is, and you've already written the narrative. So the narrative often pre-writes itself, and that's a problem. So we have to get out of that and try and you – know, if, if there's a real appetite to have this not happen, we should have a real conversations about what the causes are. And it isn't videotape. Here's what I would say about that. More people's lives will probably be saved by dicks not selling automatic, uh, you know, semi-automatic weapons than if uh, Best Buy were to stop selling video games tomorrow. Or Walmart raising the age of 21, because most of these kids who are doing this shooting are between the age of 18 and 21. Exactly. Uh, John Easton, we've been talking about this. You know, you've you've been involved in in the legislative process on this kind of stuff for a long time. Is Congress going to do anything? Well. Uh, it- I, I do take uh, issue with one thing you said in the, in the last segment about you know, the, the president. You know, it's Congress's fault if something doesn't necessarily get done on you know some of these big issues like like guns or immigration. He's all over the place on this, and and I think that it is hurting the uh, the process of getting something really meaningful done on this tragedy from emanating from this tragedy. Uh, there is a real opportunity to do something on mental health. Uh, get really tighten up uh, the, the NICS, uh, uh, the, the FBI's uh, background check system. There's so much work that can be done, and there's so much tightening up at the state level that can be done. It, it needs to be done right now. And I think both sides are willing to give a little, and I think it's huge that they do. But, but they've got the, there's got to be something coming from the President of the United States on this, particularly with the number of House members that follow his lead. It's, it's really, really important. I think the meeting that he held the other day was kind of like that immigration meeting. It was a freewheeling, brainstorming session. He let, you know, let the cameras you know, uh, film a lot of it, which I think is fine. But uh, everybody's wondering where the heck this guy is on this issue. And, and it's part of the responsibility as president is you've got to give a, you've got to give a direction. And he's not doing that yet. And until he does that and really works in earnest with some of these leading members – then I'm, I'm afraid we're not going to get much done. So, John, on, on that, I would say that the reason I said Congress is I think the president will sign just about anything that comes past his desk. But you're right. He needs to show some presidential leadership to get to knock heads and get something through. Adam Belmar, you watched that spectacular viewing event of the president being all over the place on guns with <laughs> Pat Toomey and Joe Manchin and uh, the guy from Connecticut and all these folks. You know, it was a, it was bizarre but also really entertaining uh as a former white house communications guy give me your your thoughts on it you know the the biggest worry that i ever had being uh the line producer of a television show was that it would become so interesting that i would forget that i would had a job to do (laughs) you know and i just started to become a viewer and i think that if you were in the comp shop and you were watching president trump uh in the cabinet room with that meeting you know, you didn't have an agenda. You didn't. You weren't looking at your notes. You were just like, "What the?" And you know, this this president is not showing the kind of uh, <coughs> arrows towards where he wants to be. He's opened a lot of stuff. He'll just throw anything out that comes into his mind. And I thought that it was phenomenal because just like his Twitter feed, you don't know what to expect. When people actually saw this, they said, you know, I haven't seen that before. And any time you're a disruptor who's come to Washington and you can show people a different way, then not the novelty of that is enormous, and it hasn't worn off yet. Um, I agree with all the criticism that we're giving the president uh, here, but at the same time, he is his own man. He's original, 
And uh, even though he's left a lot of uncertainty out there, I think he's let people know that, you know what, just like you said, he's going to sign something, and if you don't get uh, moving quickly, it's not going to be what you want. So, Rich Taylor, there were two events that this, this, the president had. One was with the members of Congress, and then before that with all the families. I thought the one with the, all the families was extraordinarily powerful. Gut-wrenching. And, and actually, gut-wrenching. Yeah. Um, you know, looking at this, my own instinct has always been, and this is because I'm a squish on this stuff, and I've, I have been since Columbine, that we need to do something to make sure that guns don't fall in the hands of young adolescents or a, older adolescents who have mental health problems. And if we can do anything we, anything we can do to make sure that these kids don't have guns. It seems that Rick Scott from Florida said we're, we're going to put this up. Walmart said they're going to say, listen, 21 is our new thing. What, what is your view of all of this? I mean, and how do you look at how this has been playing out from a PR perspective for the president and where the American people are? You know, I think poll after poll shows American, where the American people want more. They want something done. I mean, here's the anecdotes. We sit here on a windy Friday in Washington, D.C. Uh, schools were closed in Arlington, but earlier this week at Yorktown High School, um, where my son graduated from, actually, uh, there was a threat written on the bathroom wall. Uh, about an in, that someone said this week I'm going to do something, and they have extra police presence. But today was supposed to be the day schools were canceled, so it was moot. But there was a massive discussion around parents last night of whether I should even send my kid to school. Right? Like, how are we at this point? Like, right. that should not be. And right. and, and, and that's from a, a parental perspective. Imagine the kids' perspective. Kids right. literally do think there's a decent chance they might get shot going to school. I think that, that's we, sadly very true. And, that, and, and so, with that, is not what we. That's not what we want. We want to. We don't want to continue to backslide to that to be the norm. And when the solution being proposed are basically make schools look like prisons, with you know identifiable this and metal detectors there and armed people all over the place. I don't think that's where the American public wants us to go. They want their kids safe. But I don't think they want them safe in that regard. So we see that people are, are for meaningful, reasonable gun control up measures. It seems to be a great appetite to scale back access to semi-automatic weaponry. Uh, mental health is definitely a thing that needs to be addressed, and I don't think anyone has any real challenges to that. It's a tricky piece because it turns out um, – I saw an interesting list, listening to an interesting podcast in the Daily uh, last week, I think it was, that you know when you, technically mental health is not applicable to a lot of these incidents. It's right. just anger that lashes out from someone who's been sullen or – Withdrawn, but not necessarily someone who would fall into a, you know, need to go into a mental facility or counseling sort of situation. Well, that's that, that's the it's thing. Very I, tricky. I, I know it's very tricky because one man who's you think is crazy is another man's revolutionary, right? I hmm. mean, and so this is a real problem with the Second Amendment: is that who who gets to define who is crazy? My political opponents are crazy. They shouldn't have guns. All of a sudden, you have a problem there. But you have these sullen teenagers who just seem to be. And, you know, it's really hard to find a sullen teenager, right? <laughs> right. Well, this, is, this, is beyond, this is beyond sullen. Exactly. I, mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, no, sullen was not even to be – No, no, no. I just – because I heard that a couple of times. But I, in Parkland, interview after interview after interview of neighbors, of friends uh, saying – one particular neighbor said, when he's 18, I'm moving out of here because he's going to kill somebody. Right. And she called the police mm-hmm. and said those the, the yeah. very things that she had been – uh, witnessing with uh, this this guy, and and I think we all know by now that there were signs everywhere down there. So we've got there's just so much to do at the local level, but also the national level. I think that it would be very um, I think it'd be very important for the country to do something uh, on this, even if it were some incremental steps. Right. But they really have to do. Congress and the president needs to. They need to do something. 
on background checks on uh, the mental health system so that they, that they are reporting uh, people that should not have guns. It's getting to the FBI system. We need to digitize the information, too, because a lot of it is paper right now. And there's right. been efforts by the gun lobby and a lot of many instances to, to, to slow the pace of digitizing some of that stuff. So it's not as accessible. So right. it's a, something in a warehouse in Texas is not accessible to someone in North Carolina who's trying to figure out, you know, is this person eligible? And, and the gun show stuff is ludicrous. I mean, the gun show situation is, needs to be checked as well. I would make one other observation that I just came up, um, and we'll get to get out of this topic. 26 out of the 27 shooters did not have a father figure. Um, and that is, that's a societal breakdown. And, you know, we got to figure this stuff out because we can't continue to have these kids shooting up schools or shooting up their communities or doing stuff, you know, that is destructive to society in general. Um, so I just make that final observation. Uh, theory three, and the Oscar goes to, it's the Academy Awards this weekend. I won't be watching, but millions of others will, including my wife. She's well, gonna, you're too good to watch the Academy Awards, Fury. I mean, I mean, this is my theory here, is that I, I don't, I haven't seen any Well, this is embarrassing. We had a malfunction with our camera. At this exact point in the show, the camera just died. And so we lost the rest of the Fury Theory podcast. So I'm here in the edit bay letting you know that, well, you lost some goodness here. We'll be back next week. And we'll leave you with this classic sign-off from the Fury Theory. Thanks to Rich Taylor for being with us today. And uh, thank you for joining the Fury Theory podcast brought to you by EFB. EFB means? Excellent for business. Yeah, baby. <laughs>